Dom, thank you. Can you like follow me around everywhere I go and introduce me like that? <laughs> thank you so much. I can't see people screaming in the back. Naeem, that was you. Okay. Um, I made uh, Naeem Lint roll me because I assist him. So I was like, yeah, your turn. Okay. So I am so honored to be here for a second time. It is still so surreal for me to think that a little over three years ago, I sat in the chair closest to the door because I wanted a fast, easy escape route, like name made me come, um, to here I am now, like a volunteer on the ICU board, like directors, uh, making financial decisions for this group. Like, I don't know what that says about the group, but um, yeah, that's God at work. So. I'm also so happy, like, this whole front row is my people. Um, I've got some yoga friends here, and I've got um, my work crew from Ernst & Young here. Uh, Lena is here all the way from Rhode Island. I think you get, like, the furthest away award. We don't have a prize or anything for you, but um, you win. Um, Charlie is also here. Charlie is, uh, I was trying to think of this. I was telling Naeem, actually, I think that you're my boss's boss's boss. Right? So, big man on, uh, on campus. And Charlie is the first person that ever started speaking God's love into my life, and this was 10 years ago. Um, at that time, I just didn't feel worthy. Has everyone seen Mosaic's Hope for All shirts? Or you've seen them probably on social media. It says, hope for all, hope for all, hope for all, like five more times. Um, mine would have said, hope for all except for me, hope for all except for me, hope for all except for me, because I just did not feel worthy of um, God's love. And, and Charlie used to take me to breakfast and tell me all about the Bible. And I'll never forget this time he, I sat down and he said, okay, your turn. And I said, oh, okay, what's my turn for what? And he said, it's your turn to pray. And I said, absolutely not. I don't know how to pray. I'm not praying out loud. Um, you pray. You're really good at it. It works every time that we're here. Um, maybe we pray today that I learn how to pray, but no. And so being the patient man that Charlie is, instead of just saying, okay, I'll pray for us, he taught me that day um, at Show Mars across on Tryon Street how to pray. Um, and Charlie has taught me uh, not only in prayer to give thanks, but in life, just in general, to always give thanks. And so I can't leave the stage tonight without um, saying thank you to a couple more people. But before I do that, um, if you don't hear anything else I say tonight, which I hope you do, um, hear this. Everyone in their life needs a person, just one person, that'll do these three things for you. I am so lucky that I have a handful, like this room is full of these people that do this, but um, you just need one person, one. They will, hold, or they will tell you no, and they tell you no because they have set their own healthy boundaries. Two, they'll hold you accountable and you want to be accountable to them. So they show up as their best version of themselves, and you do the same for them. And last, they will tell you the honest, sometimes brutal, sometimes painful truth out of love. Naeem, I can't see you. It's weird. Hey. Thank you. Last year, almost a year ago, I stood up on the stage and thanked you for being the most consistent person in my life. And here I am a year later, and you're still consistent. Thank you. I don't know if you understand how much I value that. Naeem has definitely told me no. He holds me accountable, and he has 
spoke a lot of truth into my life. I can't tell you how many ideas that I thought were like brilliant. And I took him to Naeem and he's like, are you crazy? And um, I later realized they would have been crazy ideas. Um, so thank you for that. Kim Honeycutt, let me, let, me, let me feed your ego. I think that you should actually be thanking me. Um, because that fancy Porsche out there, I feel like I have paid, I've paid for some of that. <laughs> I have paid for some of that in therapy appointments. <laughs> I feel like I'm like part owner of that car. <laughs> I'll see her like flying through the church parking lot. I'm like, slow down, I pay for that. <laughs> No, but seriously, um, I know that I wouldn't be standing on this stage for a second time if it weren't for you. Um, I do this every time. I sometimes wonder if I'd be standing in this world if it weren't for you. Kim has told me no a lot. <laughs> Kim holds me accountable, and she has spoken some truth into my life. Um, dang, I didn't do this all when I was practicing. Okay, last... Uh, she is not physically here, but she is always here. Claudia Clayton. Oh, can I get a Kleenex or something? Uh, so, oh my gosh, thanks, Ronnie. That was much more gentler. Oh, Kim. I can't believe I pay her for therapy. God. Oh, okay. Back to Claudia, back to Claudia. Okay, so I'm wearing my Claudia Clayton shoes tonight in her honor. And they are, yes, very cute and trendy, but y'all, these are miserable. Like, my toes should not be this close together, like, ever. The, pays, the, the price I pay for Claudia's fashion. And I, I imagined myself walking in here tonight and Claudia being here and me saying, like, these hurt so bad. And Claudia would say, girl, don't even worry about the pain. Like, they look good. <laughs> Claudia told me no. Claudia held me accountable. If you hurt Claudia's feelings, you knew. And Claudia spoke truth into my life. So when Kim gave me a top, my topic a, a year ago, um, Emotional Survivor, I struggled a little bit because I don't know why, but I've, I've talked to some friends about this, but when I think of the word um, survivor, I think of complete, finished, done. Um, cancer survivor, you beat the cancer, it's over. And for me, I have survived some really traumatic events that I'll get into, but I often feel like I'm surviving what I survived. Uh, things still come up for me. So tonight I want to talk to you about what I call emotional sobriety, my emotional sobriety. Now I feel like I need to put a disclaimer out there because I'm by no means comparing this to like an alcohol or drug sobriety. I've never experienced either of those, so it'd be crazy of me to stand up here and compare the two, but emotional sobriety to me is, we have a um, club, Letting go of shame and resentment caused by traumatic life experiences that have blocked your heart from God's grace and love. Um, I spent a lot of years blocking myself from God's love, and I'm going to share with you a few stories of why I chose to do this. Uh, so I like to consider myself a professional mover. Um, I don't mean this in a positive way, but in 2015, I moved five times across three different states. Now, I got back to Charlotte and um, 
got settled, found my people, my network. Um, but after that, I moved four more times, like in Charlotte. So do the math, I've moved nine times in four years. Um, so a lot, I'm in a townhouse now, like I'm still in therapy on commitment issues, all as well. <laughs> Um, a lot happens, though, when you move, besides, like, physically moving your belongings, right? You have to get a new driver's license and change your address on everything. And I've found that, like, major credit cards or banking institutions, like, they find you. Like, if you don't change your address, like, the bill still gets to your new, new, your new house. And you're like, okay, take that off my to-do list. Thank you. Um, for some reason, I always forget to change my address at doctor's offices. It never fails. In doctor's offices, they do not try to find you. So that bill goes back to them, and it goes straight to collections. So I am a rule follower, y'all. I, I may not like your rules, but I will still follow them. And paying bills by the due date is following a rule. Um, so I get this really scary letter from a collection agency that basically says I'm going to go to jail um, if I don't pay the $6.50. Like, that's how intense the, 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 the garbage was. In the, it was just an intense letter. And I, so I, I immediately, I looked at the date of service, and I didn't recall going to the doctor at that time. So I thought, let me call the doctor's office. We'll get this straight. So I immediately revert back to, like, 12 like, I'm a 12-year-old. I'm in trouble. I'm trying to get out of trouble. Um, let's, let's see what I can do. So I call the doctor's office, and she's, like, very patiently going through my, um, my dates of service and my payments. And she set a payment that I remember, like, distinctively making. Like, it was a weird payment amount. And I was like, yes, I win. I won. I'm not going to jail. Uh, so I said, I paid that. And she, there was a little bit of silence, and she said, um, oh, that was your balance from your last move. So I said, I'm still 12 at this moment. I said, oh, so now you're a judge. You're judging me. You're looking at how many times I've changed my address this last year, and now you're judging me. So the conversation, I should probably send her flowers now that I think about it, because I was so rude to her. Um, so the conversation didn't go much further. She said, you can log on to your online account and look at your dates of service and your payments, and you work for Ernst & Young, like an accounting firm. You can reconcile it. So I said, I'm going to do that right now. I'm going to do that right now, and I'll call you back. So I didn't even know I had an online account, so I logged on to my online account, and um, there's this tab that says patient history. Now, if you don't want to know what doctor's offices say about you, do not click on this tab. I clicked on this tab, and I, I, I copied this. I'm not kidding. I, Kim can vouch for me. I sent it to her um, with explanation points, but um, I copied this directly from my medical chart. Go ahead and um, put it up. Okay, here we go. I have to take a couple deep breaths because it's long. This is my medical chart. Danielle is a 38-year-old white female, clearly, um, with a past and current history of significant anxiety, infertility, melanoma, depression, panic attacks, neurocardiogenic seizure disorder, and here to, to discuss increasing her anxiety medication. And clearly, um, <laughs> she's now back in Charlotte, however, has severe anxiety and panic stemming from recently going to trial for her uncle's sexual abuse charges. She has difficulty sleeping, and some days it's difficult to get out of bed. She's in therapy, but requesting an increase of medication. So that was a lot 
right? And I don't know, like, it hurt my heart so deep to read that on paper in black and white. Um, I don't know if they would have said, like, she's really nice and friendly and sometimes funny when she's not acting 12. Like, I don't know if they would have said that, if I would have felt better, but it hurt my heart so bad to read this. And I also thought, like, no wonder I wait forever when I go to the doctor. Like, I get called back really fast, and then they put you alone in the room, like, with Good Housekeeping magazine. Like, I'm not going to read that. I move every three months. Like, I'm not decorating anything. <laughs> or, like, are they testing my anxiety? Like, do they give me three minutes until I pop my head out? Like, hey, I'm here. Um, I've done that before. Um, and then you think about, like, going to the doctor and, like, walking down the long hall, and you see all the doors closed with the patient files, right, in the back. And you're like, behind door number two is Danielle. Like, all of that, and behind door number three is like Fred, a jolly old happy man complaining of like, I don't know, symptoms of a splinter or something. Like, I want to be Fred. Like, I don't want to be behind door number two. Like, I, I want to be Fred right now. And I must have read this a thousand times, and I, I thought, like, is this what they think about me? Like, when I leave, like, what do they say? And then I allowed it to go even deeper, and I thought, like, is this how I'm known in the world? Like, is this how I show up? Is this, what do people say in the South? Um, bless your heart, bless your heart. Oh, Danielle's infertile, like, bless her heart. Or, you know, Danielle, the girl with anxiety, like, is this how I'm known? And then I let it go even further. This is how God sees me. I'm not worthy. No wonder bad things happen to me. I'm not deserving. I'm going to talk about a couple of these words tonight. Um, not all of them. We would be here all night. Um, first, infertility. So when I was 21, I came home from a trip um, on the East Coast and woke up in the middle of the night with just severe pain. So went to the ER. I was sent home um, with food poisoning. Two days later, I, I, I'm not even sure how to describe the pain. I felt like I was going to die. I just felt like I was dying. So I went back to the, the ER, and um, they did an emergency exploratory surgery. It, found, it was found that my appendix had ruptured. Uh, I'm not going to get into like, the gory details, but when you cut yourself, your body tries to heal itself, right? Forms a scab. The same thing happens internally. So my appendix wrapped itself around my female organs. So I had gangrene, and it, it was just a bad, long recovery. So two years after that, I got pregnant. Um, it was an ectopic, ectopic pregnancy um, from the scar tissue. So I, and I had so much scar tissue, I went in and I had a full C-section um, cut to have that removed. About a week later, I went back to the doctor. I was still feeling really, really bad. Um, I still had uh, uh, pregnancy hormones in my um, bloodstream, so I went back for a second surgery, cut open again, um, and um, again, I'm not going to get into the gory details. Some remnants were still there, continued to grow, and ruptured my tube. So during that one, because there was so much damage, while I was unconscious, they gave me an epidural for all the ladies know that numbs you pretty much. So I, I'll never forget, I, I didn't know I was having that. So I woke up, when I woke up, um, I, I couldn't feel my legs, I couldn't move my legs, and I couldn't move my chest, so I couldn't see. So I, I thought I lost my legs, um, I thought I was paralyzed, like 
I, it sounds, when I say this, like funny now, but I, I kept just saying, my legs, my legs, and my mom was saying, they're here, they're here, like, it's okay. Uh, but it, it, was a, it was a pretty uh, scary moment. Anxiety, depression, and panic attacks. I spoke in great detail about this about my uh, last talk, but when I was nine, I was sexually molested by an uncle. He told me stories of Adam and Eve that made it okay to my nine-year-old self. I now know that uh, those stories um, are not accurate. Uh, the last time it ever happened, I was 12. We were on a family vacation. Um, my entire family was in the dining room singing the 12 Days of Christmas. I'll never forget uh, that song, and I was about 15 feet away um, being molested. Um, have you ever had a moment where you're, like, par like you're almost like paralyzed and like the world is like moving around you? Um, I had one of those moments because I remember looking up and seeing like so much joy on my family's faces. Like, you know, the 12 days of Christmas is fun. Like, how many pipers are there? Is it pipers? I don't know, drummers, and there's all these things, and you're trying to figure them out, and it's, they were laughing hysterically, and I was right by them being molested. And I remember after I went into the bathroom, and I distinctly remember this because I think it's the first time I ever looked at myself in the mirror and talked to myself. Um, I looked myself directly in the eye and I said, you will never let that happen again. And it never happened again. I went to college at the University of Arizona. I was born and raised in Indiana, and I didn't tell people at the time, but the only reason I went there is because I wanted to be a flight away from home. I didn't want anybody, I was scared he would, now that I'm at college age, maybe he would come um, to the college. Um, I just wanted, I, I didn't want to ha come home on the weekends. I just wanted to be, have to fly to where I'm going. Um, I, my family convinced me to come home um, for the first holiday, and my two younger cousins, which were, are his daughters, were just starting to drive. And you know when you get your driver's license, you want like to show everybody how you can drive, like watch me turn right, watch me turn left, like. But so they were driving me around. I was watching them drive. And so I had a moment and I just said, um, at, at some point I really want to talk to you about your dad. And Courtney looked at me and she said, I believe you. That's all she said. She said, I believe you. We didn't have, we didn't exchange stories. We didn't talk anymore about it. Um, no other words were exchanged. And I, I just knew in that moment when he stopped with me, he started with them. Um, I learned their stories at trial, and just for respect for them, their stories are theirs to share. I will say that uh, classic abuser, as far as um, needing more, he progressively got worse with each one of us. Um, he was late, this was, I, I, um, I told, or I, this happened to me when I was nine to 12. Um, I, I, that was when I was probably, I don't know, not even 20 yet, um, that I shared that with them, and then we, it, it, this all came out in the public knowledge um, later, like in my adult life, uh, probably 35, I'm trying to think of the time frame, um, probably 35. So he was arrested on 69 counts of child molestation. None of those charges include mine because I was outside of the statute of limitations in Indiana. So these are all my cousins. Um, that resulted in 17 felonies, three of those incest. He was found guilty on all 17 charges and sentenced to 105 years in prison, which is where he resides right now. Yes, we can help that. Last one, last one, I promise. 
loss of sleep. I was raised by a single mom. She went to school full-time and worked full-time, and I don't mean that in any negative connotation. She was an amazing, she's not was, she is an amazing, amazing mom. I love her so much. But with that schedule, I, we had to have help, right? My, we spent a lot of time with my granny and my aunt, who is my mom's sister, who is my uncle's wife. So I spent a lot of time with her. Um, he clearly wasn't um, faithful to her, and... He gave her an STD that led to cancer, and we lost her. And I remember I, the funeral was actually one week after my second tubal pregnancy um, surgery. So I remember like standing over her casket thinking like, gosh, life should be really, really different right now. Life could be different if I would have told. Like, like if I told when I was nine, she would have left him. Maybe I wouldn't have gone on that trip. Maybe I would have gotten medical attention faster. Maybe right now I would be dropping off my baby to my Aunt Cindy instead of looking over her at the casket. That kept me awake for many years. There's a lot more words, but that is a huge chunk of my story. And instead of working through these things, I allowed myself to get stuck. So I took all of these words, um, all of these words that have been placed on me. Um, you guys, don't judge my, uh, my artwork. I'm a professional mover, not an artist. Um, infertile, um, anxious, depressed, and responsible for death. So I took these words, I sat with them, I got nice and cozy and comfortable, and I stayed, and I made choices and decisions from this mess. I brought people into my life that fit this mess. I complained, I complained a lot, and I wished things were different without doing a thing. I just wanted them to go away without putting in any effort. I was angry at people that loved me. I was angry at a God if I, that I didn't even know if I believed in it or not because I felt not worthy, and I thought, if there's a God, why would he make me do this and sit in this space? But as I surrounded myself with people that do those three things that I told you about earlier, um, I worked on getting emotionally sober, clearing what needed cleared in order to experience God's love. I started, like when I started doing that, I started getting uncomfortable here. I felt uncomfortable sitting in my mess. For God so loved the world, for God so loved all of the world. It doesn't say, for God so loved some of the world or part of the world. He gave his only son. I'm included in all. You are included in all. I truly believe God has no ill will for any of us. I, 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 you can debate me on this, but I don't believe that you're chosen and you're not, and you're favored and you're not, and I'm designed to have this fancy life and, and, and the other people aren't. I just don't believe that. I do believe there's evil in this world, and evil crossed my path as early as nine years old. But I truly believe every night I couldn't sleep that God was restless with me. And every morning I cried in the shower, God was crying with me. And I truly believe that every time I was so depressed and reached out, God, where are you? He was reaching down for me, like, come on, girl, I got you. I'm right here. But I 
wasn't reaching back out to him. I was right here cozied up in my mess. Psalm, the word restore, sorry, the word restore or some variation of it is mentioned in the Bible more than 80 times. Psalm 23, 5, let the lover of your soul restore us. My favorite, Joel 2, 25, God can restore everything the devil has stolen from you. I, I truly believe God wants us to be restored. He wants us to be whole and live in love. But what we often fail to understand, it is our responsibility to go through God's restoration. One of my favorite yoga quotes is, after enlightenment, the laundry. It's our choice. You gotta sort the laundry. You gotta do the laundry. You've gotta clean the laundry. We have to do the work. And, and going through God's restoration, I promised Madison, see, I wouldn't cuss up here, but it is like bleep, bleep, ugly <laughs> and messy. And it sucks, and you'll cry, and it's hard. But once I started working through I, and I allowed myself to be loved by God, more and more light started pouring into me, and this mess became a beautiful story because it allowed me to stand up out of this mess, knowing with all of my heart that, yes, I am infertile, and God does not see me as infertile. I have anxiety. Sometimes I have to swallow a pill. God does not see me as anxious, nor on medication. And I have depression. Sometimes getting to work for me is the, my job, just getting there. God does not see me as depressed. And I'm going to cuss on this one, Madison. I will be damned if I spend another restless night of my life saying I'm responsible for death. Because God does not see me as responsible for death. Let's rip this an extra time. What are you saying no to by not saying yes to God's restoration? Thank you. Mm. 